0: something else I wanted to kind of talk about, just briefly, is last week, if you were here, Mike Cowling, he had a little water bottle. Brother Mike had a big water bottle. I have a bigger one. I just forgot to bring it up here. I just wanted to... I was going to show it off, but oh well. Now, today, I'm going to walk you through the eighth poem in Psalms, the one that John read just a few minutes ago. He read part of it. We're going to read all of it. It's not that long, so don't worry. Um, you'll, You'll get your lunch at some point later today. It's five, six, seven. I don't know what time, but anyway... Uh, the, the whole goal today is to help us realize a little bit more how God is relentlessly pursuing his chosen people, who has created people, us, and, and he's been doing that forever because he desires to partner with us, to rule with us in this world that he's created, even though that we can be quite dumb sometimes, quite unintelligent sometimes, quite rebellious sometimes. And so if you have a Bible, grab one, uh, grab it and turn to Psalm 8, because that's where we're going to start. But the, the question that I'm kind of exploring is, is, why would a God, the God of the universe, the creator of heavens and earth, want to partner with us? And what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to be a fortress for the strong, so we're gonna we're gonna dive into Psalm eight. Let me just pray one more time um, that God just guide us once again. God, as you guide us into these scriptures, reveal your truth, reveal your heart, reveal your your goodness to us. Because God, that's what we're here for. We we're here for you to discover you a little bit more. So God, reveal yourself. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Psalm eight. And we're just going to kind of walk through this. We'll read it and then walk through it a little bit. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth mouth of infants and nursing babies, you've established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy, enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider that your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, What is man? What is humanity that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? So we're going to walk through this together, and we're going to start here in verse one. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? It, it talks about um, the first thing. It, we just take a focus on God. The the writer David here, he's writing, and he just gets us to to focus on God. It kind of reminds me of the song hymn of heaven that we were singing. You know, in in all the division of this world, this is one opportunity we have to come together and say the same thing, to worship the same God, to praise and sing the hymn of heaven, to be united together and with all the heavenly hosts and just praising our God. And this is kind of how this psalm starts. It talks about his majesty, that is his power, his authority, his sovereign kingship. And it's over where? The whole earth. God's sovereignty is over the whole earth. And it talks about his splendor. That is the radiance of his character, all of God's goodness. And it is on brilliant display where? Above the heavens. You can see that this psalm is already getting us to stop for a moment, to look around and to be still and know that he is God. That is the introduction, that is the way it starts. I think Nehemiah, um, he, he, must have, he must have read this psalm, because when he wrote, he said, You alone are the Lord, you have made the heavens, the heavens of the heavens, with all their hosts. The earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. It's a declaration that God, you are God and I am not. Nehemiah recognized that, David recognized that. And that's how the psalm starts. This is the ground that we come to and that we throw our sandals off because it's holy or the place where we fall down on our face because we stand before a mighty king, the king of the universe in all of his splendor and majesty. How majestic is your name. That's all we can articulate. The glory and the splendor of God, his majesty, his radiance, his His everything that God is, it's hard to articulate with our feeble mouths. We leave, we leave it to God to describe himself because we can't fully understand it. Only God knows his, full, his, his brilliant fullness. But this is how the psalm is start. It's addressed to him. Perhaps, but perhaps the most humbling word in this whole first verse is the word are. O oh Lord, our Lord. As, the, as Charles Spurgeon says, what a sweetness lies in the little word, our. And when we meditate on the glory of who God is, what cries of joy come to the heart when we have the blessing to call him our God. Yes, he is mighty, he's brilliant, he's sovereign, he's amazing, but he claims us. And he allows us to claim him. This is how the psalm starts. This first verse just kind of pushes us back, sits us down, and just makes us go, wow. We pause to look out and to look up at the God and and his relationship with the world and his creation. That he reigns supreme and his, his splendor reigns down everywhere around us. And we pause here just to take a moment to recognize our God, that he declares us as his, and that is enough. We could stop right there. Some of y'all might want to stop right there, but there's more to read, so let's keep reading. Verse 2, it says, From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold. You've established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. I don't know about you, but when I read certain scriptures, passages, verses, I'm just like, what? What? So you're telling me when I walk into my baby's room, into Carissa's room at 4 a.m. in the morning, and she's crying out that somehow you're establishing strength in the world and in me. It doesn't feel like that, especially in the middle of the night, but that's what, 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 is, what are you saying? Here's what's crazy is, is there's a lot of scriptures we might not understand, and, and you're meant to just come back to them, and God will eventually show you what it means, but there's also some that even Jesus talked about. And we have reference to. In Matthew um, 21, we're about to look at that passage. It's, it's right at the triumphal entry. Jesus is watching, marching into Jerusalem for the last time before he goes to the cross and before he's risen from the grave. And there's these people, as he's marching in, as he's riding in, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David, Hosanna. And Hosanna just means save us. They're like, hey, son of David, save us, save us. And here's here's what Matthew 21:14 uh says and it says the blind and the lame that came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus was doing and the children who were shouting in the temple save us hosanna save us to the son of david man they became indignant I don't like that word it means angry it means upset Honestly, there's a lot of translations of Scripture. I'm like, we need to rewrite this. It is, I mean, come on. I'm just kidding. But um, I mean, just make it more current. Anyway, no, they, they became upset. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Do you hear them saying, save us, the son of David, from the line of David, save us? And I love Jesus' response. He starts out with, yeah? Have you ever read the Bible? He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees whose guys, it's their job to read the Bible, to memorize it. And some of them, they rewrite it. They copy it over so that they have more scrolls to read off of. They know the Bible. And Jesus is like, have you ever read it? Have you ever read it? Because it says this, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. See, when we come to a passage, and we're not sure what it means, or we think we know what it means, but then all of a sudden Jesus says it means something different, we should probably understand that Jesus knows what he's talking about. See, when Jesus looks at this passage, he's quoting and interpreting this passage, saying out of these babbling babies, God has prepared a place for himself, and Jesus is saying that that is being fulfilled right now. That this passage in Psalm 8, he's saying that this is about me, that this passage is about Jesus. Jesus. That even the weakest state of all of humanity creates a strength found in the worship of our King. Crying out, save us, and he hears it. See, this psalm starts by declaring God's majesty and his splendor. That it's everywhere. That his splendor rains down from above. But the most perfect of praises doesn't come from above, doesn't come from creation. It comes from the people he chooses to show his strength through. The mouth of babbling babies. And according to Jesus, it's all about him. So let's keep going. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Again, our attention is brought Uh, and it, it recalls creation themes. It wants you to upload into your memory Genesis 1 and 2, the creation story. When I look at Genesis 1 and 2, the work of your fingers, I am awestruck. When was the last time you left the city lights just to go look up into the sky at night? Look up in the stars. I was talking to Stormy, man, the last time where we got a really good look at the stars, it's, it's probably been near uh, at least six, seven, eight years, something like that, maybe less. I don't know, last time we were in South Padre. Four? You're saying four. Okay, it's at least been four years. I don't have a memory, but that's okay. When was the last time you went? You know, the other night, as I was preparing the sermon, I was like, I got to go look. I mean, I, it's been forever, so I took off. I drove out uh, about 15 minutes, and it's hard to get far enough away where you can really see more than five stars because there's so many lights in the city that it just covers them all up. It's hard to get, get, get that far away, but I want to show you an image, and some of you probably have heard this story. Um, in 1995, astronomer Bob Williams wanted to point the Hubble telescope at a point in the sky filled with absolutely nothing remarkable, he wanted to find the darkest spot to point his telescope and look. A lot of people were upset. They're like, "You're wasting telescope time. That's a lot of money." They were actually uh, in a lot in a, in a you know in a bad position because. For the last like three years before this, the Hubble telescope was messed up. It wasn't working. Billions of dollars spent on something that didn't work. And he wanted to take it and point it at the darkest point in the sky. Like, what are you doing? And to understand how small the focus that he had it pointed at, it's like taking a pin needle, holding it an arm's, arm's length away, and the little head of that needle is the point of, the, of reference in the sky that he was looking at. Another way to think about it is if you're sitting in the back of the sanctuary, I'm going to stick a dime on the wall over here, that's the kind of size of the sky that he was looking at. A little speck in our sky is what he was looking at. Well, ten days later, this is what they found. Over a thousand galaxies. Far, very, very far away, probably near Star Wars or something. Um... <laughs> I guess. I don't really know how that all works. But over a thousand, in the darkest point in our sky, nobody had ever seen this before, except one the God that put them there. The work of your fingers, the sun, the moon, the stars that you set in place. Thousands of galaxies, millions of stars, and so much more in a speck. Just imagine what else. They, they have found in looking around the last 20 years or so. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? Who are we, humanity, that you take thought of us? It reminds me of the song that we were just singing. God really loves us. We are not alone. Hallelujah. What is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. And of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. What is man? You made him a little lower than God. You crowned him with glory. You make him rule all things under his feet, animal, birds, sea creatures, all of it. There's a lot here. There's a couple things happening here, but I want to start with this. is, is what is man that you take thought of him. And I want to go, jump back to the imagery in Genesis 1. Again, upload Genesis 1, because as David is writing this, Genesis 1 and 2 is fresh on his mind. He's trying to get us to jump back and look at that so that we know what this passage means. In Genesis one twenty six through 28 it says then God said, "Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." And God said to him, so so God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the, every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you see the connections here? Do you see the connections that David is trying to tie in? It's as if he wants to, you to upload to your mind the blessing over humanity that God gave originally. As you wonder... What is man that you take thought? Who are we that you even think about us, God? You notice us. He created us. He gave us authority. His nature, his image, to be his rule, to be his reign on earth. See, from the beginning, God's desire and design has been to partner with us in his rule and reign on the earth. He wanted to partner with us to work together, carrying out his will in this world. Well, then we come to Genesis 3, and we mess it all up. All the authority we gained, we surrendered to sin. We gave it up to sin. We lost it to sin. But look back at Psalm 8, and I want to look at the part that we skipped. It says, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man... That you care for him. You've made him a little lower than God. You crown him with the glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Now, look with me in Ephesians 1. So we're going to fast forward in time. You have David talking about Genesis, referring to Genesis, and Nehemiah maybe referring to David. Well, then we're up to, to Paul in, in Ephesians. It says, For this reason, and this is, here's, here's what ironic. This is the exact same passage Mike, uh, our pastor, preached out of last week. If you weren't here, I'll fill you in. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. First, point number one, was do not cease to give thanks for the church, for each other. Don't cease to give thanks for each other. Because I'm remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. That was point number two. Pray for the spirit of wisdom to fill our church, to fill our hearts, to fill the whole church. Point number three was that we might gain the revelation of the knowledge of him. That we just might know Jesus more. That we might understand a little bit more of who God is. That was point two and three. Verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And that was his point number four that we might pray that the eyes of our heart are opened up to God's will, God's ways, God's character, God's goodness, that they are enlightened. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is his immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. All right, that was last week's sermon. Let's come back to this one. Look at this. That he worked in Christ, that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which which is his body who fills all in all. Put all things under him. And then he gave it to the church. Back to Psalm. What is the Son of Man that you take care of him? You have put all things under his feet. Do you see the connections here? Now, 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing again. It says, For he, God, has put everything under his feet. Jesus' feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under, his, under him, it is clear that it, it doesn't include God himself. God is Jesus, Jesus is God. Very confusing, but it makes sense. Everything put under Christ. So let me put all this together for you. Humanity in the Garden of Eden had the full command of all the living creatures, of all of God's creation, as the appointed rulers of God until we lost it all to sin. But Jesus... In his glory is now Lord, not only of every living thing, but everything that's ever been created. All created things, past, present, future. Jesus is Lord of all and his chosen people, his body, his church. In him, we are raised to a dominion, to a rule wider than it was in the beginning. Something that we will more fully realize when he returns. The picture here is that God's desire to rule all creation through and with his created people, that is still his deep, deep desire. He still desires to work with us in this world. That we are to reign with him even over death. And that's Paul's point here, That even, even David's point. Jesus fulfilled what we couldn't. And then even restored us to a place even higher than when we started. And now he uses us, even even us babbling babies, to create genuine places of his strength through worship. So that evil will continue to lose, God's adversaries will continue to be silenced, and his name will be proclaimed now and forever. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who, has, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, who are we? What is man, what is humanity that you even take thought of them? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the seas, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's how it ends comes full circle. It starts by setting us down and just helping us to, again, be still and know that he's God. Then he takes us into Genesis 1 and 2 imagery, helps us to look around at the amazing things that he's done, the thousands and millions and kajillions. There's big words to describe that, all the galaxies that he's put there. But he did it for us. He did it because he wanted to, to just walk with us, to rule with us. And when we couldn't fulfill that, when we couldn't, man, just stay in, in, foot, in, in line and in footsteps with him, he didn't leave us hanging high and dry. He, he sent his son to do what we couldn't. There's a couple of reasons I wanted to share this psalm with you today. And first, it's to remind you once again of how Jesus, our Lord, our Messiah, our Savior, he is jam-packed in every passage in Scripture. That all of scripture is pointing to Jesus. And we just need to look for him. We need to look for him in our daily lives. We need to seek to follow in the dust of his feet just to walk with Jesus. That's all he wants, just us to walk with him. Because Jesus became that babbling baby so that he might establish a stronghold for all of us. A place where our praises and our worship is perfected. That Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we can't be. The full image of God and the full rule and dominion that he gave us, even putting death under our feet. But I also wanted to to take a focus just on God's deep desire to pursue us and restore us. And he gave Jesus to do just that. To restore this heavenly and humanly uh, partnership between us that you and I get to share in the blessing. You and I get to become part of the fortress of strength and in bringing that to the world. And that through God's rule, his kingdom comes as he turns our weaknesses to strength. God wants to work through our babbling baby moments, to work through our weaknesses. He desires a relationship with us. He desires to rule with you and through you to create beauty and order in a very dark and chaotic world. And this happens through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So first off, do you know Jesus? You've just been introduced to him. He, he is this, the son of God that took on man, our position, our likeness to save us. He became that babbling baby to set up a perfect, a perfect stronghold for us to be saved, for us to be redeemed, for us to be restored. Do you know Jesus? And if you don't, all it takes is to believe and surrender to him. Just, just say his name and say, man, I, I'm, I'm walking with you now. Do you know Jesus? Second, are you pursuing him? You might know him, but are you walking with him? Where are your footsteps at these days? Are they in line with maybe some of the things that Jesus would be doing, or are they going against it? Are you pursuing him and his works? Are you being the hands and feet? Again, original creation, God established us, he created us so that we could be his representatives, so that we could be his reflection. That hasn't changed. Jesus just allows us to return to that again, even when we messed it all up, even when we continue to mess it all up. All you have to do is return to Jesus, and he gives us this thing called forgiveness and allows us to return to be redeemed, to be restored. And then if you're following Jesus, if you're pursuing Jesus, if you're walking with him, then join David. Join Paul. Join in the worship and the work of our Lord. Father God, I just thank you that even in the most weird way, this God of all majesty and splendor man surrendered his heavenly kingdom for a moment came down and became a baby. Became weak. The weakest image of humanity we can picture. A defenseless baby. A crying baby. And through that weakness, you showed us what it means to walk in strength. To walk in your strength, Lord. To walk in your joy, your goodness, your greatness. And through that walk, through his perfect walk, even to death, you crowned him, you raised him up, you set him on the throne, and then you invited us to be a part of that. Lord, you are so good. Your majesty, your splendor, it's everywhere. When we look up, when we look around, when we look at each other, the image of God is displayed. Help us to walk in that, to reflect that image. God, I just thank you for these little scriptures that are just such an encouragement to us, the church, that it's okay even when we're weak, even when we fail, because you are God and you seek redemption for us all. Oh, Lord, our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth.